but four commitments. And these four, they line up with our quest, our commitment to be a faithful local church under Lord Jesus' lordship. The one who's both the head of the church, his body of which we're a part, and the one who the writer of the book of Hebrews says is the author and captain of our faith. After all, the church really is his idea. His body is the very object of the love of the triune God from eternity. If you're a believer, if you're one of his sheep, that you are in his hand and nothing, not anyone or anything can snatch you out of his hand. You're eternally secure in his hand. So tonight, I want us to consider the gospel. And then in these next three weeks, we'll look at worship next week, and the following, nurture, and then mission. So very much upward, inward, if you will, and outward. As we think of the gospel, what we're talking about is the idea of keeping the main thing the main thing. And the problem is when we FTM, when we forget the mission or we forget the main thing. I've got a friend that I use this. It's kind of the private thing between he and I about never forgetting the mission. So if I just say to him, DFTM, he knows what I mean. Don't forget the mission. And as we think of the gospel, the idea is that when we forget what is central and primary and those things become peripheral and secondary, we're in trouble. We err, all right? The gospel is everything. And this is the big idea. The gospel is everything, and therefore it must be kept front and center in our lives, in our thinking, in our praying, in our ecclesiology, our pilgrimage, in the way we live out the Christian life. Don't relegate the gospel simply to an evangelistic campaign as though it's a vaccination And then we don't have to think about it again. We don't want to think of the gospel that way. But of thinking of the gospel for all of life. And not just individually, but as a body, as a community of God's people. You know, if you think about this, when something is uber important, you keep it front and center. Sometimes you write notes on sticky, some of you do this, you write notes, sticky notes, you stick them on your planner, your Bible, whatever. Maybe some of you write notes on the back of your hand or whatever, but you keep what's most important front and center. And so tonight I want us to ask, why do we gather? Why are we here? What are we all about? Why is it that some of you who are here at 9.30 this morning and didn't leave till 1.45 or 2 how are you crazy enough to be back here at five? What's gotten into you? What's this all about? Why are we here? What compels you to do that? And I would say, I would propose this. We gather when we ask why we gather. We gather because of the gospel. We gather to keep the gospel front and center, prominent, unmistakable. The main thing, Not a thing among a litany of many things, but to place the same priority on the gospel as the early church. 
the apostolic church also placed on this powerful, life-giving, salvation-producing message of salvation that's only found in the Son of God. And so my purpose is to show from our text, if you'll turn there, page 961 in your pew Bible, I want us to see from our text and then from the letter and then with testimony from the rest of the New Testament why we gather. And this isn't an exhaustive treatment of the gospel. When you think of the gospel like a multifaceted jewel, you could spend many weeks on doing an expositional series on the gospel. But just one message here. But I want us to see why we gather. We gather for the gospel, because of the gospel, and to keep the gospel front and center. Central and primary in our corporate and individual lives. So why then do we gather? I don't want you to be scared about this, but I'm going to give you 10 bullet points on why we gather because of the gospel. And I intentionally only describe seven, and then I use like, again, and one other thing, and then the word finally. So it's seven plus three, which last I checked, equals 10. So why do we gather? These will be quick. It's been a long day. I want us not to be here for a long time. But I want us you to think about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. So first, we must keep the gospel front and center because of its source. You know, when you look typically at coffee, it tells you where it's sourced from. I was just given some coffee, coffee from the Leopard Forest Coffee Company. On the back, it says it's a mix of Guatemalan beans and Ethiopian beans. They are proud of and acknowledging the source of that coffee. That's why we keep the gospel front and center because of its source. God is the author of the gospel. The gospel is not man's invention. The gospels did not create it, or the the apostles did not create the gospel. After an all-night brainstorming session, and they walked out of a conference room door and said, for the church, here's the good news, we formulated it. There is, in a sense, as the gospels, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us the narrative of the person and life and work and sufferings and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the the apostles in their letters then interpret the meaning of the life, death, and suffering and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, yet they did not invent it. It is God's gospel. It is God's message, his method. In fact, in Romans 1.1, Paul writes of the gospel of God. And there are other versions of that same idea in the New Testament. There's a few times, six total. Three times in the New Testament, it is Paul that says, my gospel. And three times, Paul says, our gospel. But those are my and our, not in the sense of having, identifying Paul as the source of it, but claiming the stewardship of knowing that this is the one thing he was entrusted with, the one thing that he must preach, and that is the gospel of God. In that sense, he says, my gospel or our gospel. He means the gospel that was entrusted to him and his fellow apostles for the purpose of faithfully preaching for the building of Christ's church. 
So first, I want you to think of the word source. Second, we keep the gospel front and center because the gospel has apostolic priority. It was the main thing. Not a thing, not a main thing, the main thing. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And the word first here is not a word in reference to time, but a reference to importance and priority. The gospel is also the treasured stewardship of the apostles. It's as though Paul is saying, we as a band of apostles had our hands cupped and God placed this life-giving message in it and now we turn and we entrust it to you. The gospel, he says, that we preached even in the folly of preaching which you received, the gospel in which you stand, your feet cemented in it, the gospel by which you are being saved, present tense, and he says, if in fact you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. But the gospel must be front and center because it has apostolic priority. And we stand in that succession. By the way, what do we mean when we say stewardship? What do we mean by apostolic stewardship? We mean the idea of what's been given to us by another and for which we are called to faithfulness and to which we will, be, get, will give account. Even as we, as four under-shepherds in this church, as we shepherd you all as the flock that is known as Grace Baptist Church Taylors, our stewardship is that we keep the gospel the main thing. That is in keeping with apostolic priority. But third, we must keep the gospel front and center because of its message. It is a distinctly divine message. It's not just inane dribble like so many texts you get in the course of a week. And we don't have, a permi we don't have permission to alter this message. It is a fourfold message concerning God. Now watch this. It's a fourfold message concerning God. That's good and bad news. Concerning man, bad news. Concerning sin, really bad news. And concerning the cross, incredibly wonderful, amazing, mind-blowing, and life-changing news. But it's not ours to alter it. And with all due respect to that profound-sounding axiom, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. No, in reality, we must use the words, the message of the gospel, all right? Our life, if we understand this in order, our life is the support for our witness, our verbal witness, but it's not a substitute for it, right? Our life is the support for our witness, but not a substitute to replace it. What do we mean when we say 
the cross, as Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 1. We mean much more than a cruel, or simply than a cruel, two-piece wooden instrument of death that is thudded into the ground, into which men or women were fastened that they might die by suffocation. We mean much, much more. We mean the totality of the person and work of Jesus Christ, but especially his miraculous birth and taking on of our human nature minus the sinful part. We mean his perfect life in obedience to the law. We mean his unjust sufferings. We mean his cruel death at the hands of sinful men, but his cruel death by the eternal plan and sovereign hand of God. We mean his burial. We mean his triumphant resurrection, as Paul celebrates in 1 Corinthians 15. We mean his ascension to the right hand of his Father as the enthroned and exalted Christ and his continual role that, that at this very moment continues or goes on is the glorified God-man and second person of the Trinity who intercedes for his sheep at this very moment. You know what it's like to promise someone that you would pray for them and have you forgotten? Do you ever remember promising, I'll pray for you and you forgot? He never forgets to intercede for his own. For our names are engraven on his hands. There's a fourth reason we must keep the gospel front and center. It's because it's the only thing that has true power to save. It's why Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17. And not to tolerate a divisive schism or faction within the church. He makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 1, this idea of Apollos or Cephas or Paul or Christ. That's not to be tolerated. He says, stop identifying yourself along party lines because Christ is not divided. Christ alone was crucified for sinner's gain. It's in Christ's name alone, not those of any other Christian or apostle, that a believer is baptized. And it was Martin Luther, that, in a way that ignited the Reformation some 500 plus years ago, who read those words in Romans 1 and understood, finally, how God justifies, a righteous God justifies a sinner. And he read those words when he said, when he read this, I'm not ashamed, Romans 1.16, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the gospel that answers the Jews' quest to see power and miracles and the Greeks' desire for wisdom. It is in the gospel that there is true power to save. Moralism, legalism, antinomianism, none of these things save, but in Christ, in the message of the cross, that alone saves.
Well, fifth, we must keep the gospel front and center because it has historical veracity. You say, why, what do you mean by veracity? I mean, it's verifiable, it's true, it's demonstrably true, just like you could come up and measure this podium. And so therefore, to believe the gospel is not to believe a fanciful myth, but it is to possess a faith whose evidence not only demands a verdict, but has delivered it. And here is the verdict. It sounds very much like 1 Corinthians 15. He has risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians 15, was validated by multiple, verifiable, credible, and consistent witnesses. That's the crux of Paul's argument from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 8. The resurrection was a historical event that was corroborated, it was confirmed by the historical evidence of reliable personal testimonies. And that's part of Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a huge point. When he gives the content, he says, I delivered, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance, the idea of primary importance, what I received. And then he gives the content of that message. The central objective facts of the atonement that are non-repeatable. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Central, objective, non-repeatable facts of God's work of atonement through Christ on behalf of the world. But there's a sixth reason we need to keep the gospel front and center. It's because it's an exclusive message. There's no other saving word. You know what it's like to pay top dollar for a medicine week because there's no generic? There's no alternative? It's like the doc saying, that's it. Only this one. Exclusive. Pay the price. Well, God did. We keep the gospel front and center because it's an exclusive message. It's only the son who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't say, I am a way and a truth and a life. There's the definite word, the. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Even in the Philippian jail, Paul and Silas had a singular message for the jailer's questions. Here it was. He's, he's fearing for his life. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They don't drone on for 10 minutes. Here it is. Ready? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Moms, dads, please, let's not complicate the gospel. For our children. Kids, do you wonder what you must do to be saved? Listen to what Paul and Silas told the jailer inside the Philippian jail. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
There's a seventh thing, and that is that we must keep the gospel front and center because it has a historically biblical foundation. That foundation is in the Old Testament. For example, you need go no further than Isaiah 53 to understand that the Lord's servant would be a suffering servant. In the message of the whole Bible, the law, the prophets and the Psalms, all prepare us for. They prepare the ground for and they point us to Jesus Christ as the answer. As the answer to everything. It's why Paul may say that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he repeats this again. And he says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And for emphasis, he says a second time, in accordance with the scriptures. What does he have in view here? No doubt, the Old Testament scriptures. And the facts of the gospel are clear from the Bible. His death on behalf of his sheep, his miraculous resurrection, all the facts All the relevant facts of the gospel that must be conveyed, even in the foolishness of preaching, are attested by God's word. They are in accordance with the scriptures. There's an eighth thing. We must keep the gospel front and center because it's a gospel. The gospel is a message for all people. Have you ever thought about this? One of the finest compliments you could repeat you could pay a person is that they are no respecter of persons. The gospel is no respecter of persons. It's a gospel for all people. Better it's the message for all people. And we dare not hold back from giving it to all people. That's why as we think about missions, we must care that the gospel go to the ends of the earth, that the gospel go to places that it's unknown, that it's never been preached before. It's the gospel that is the message that we bear in fulfillment of the great commission to make disciples of all the nations. It is that good word that must be in our hearts and on our mouths as we go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. And if the worthy son purchased for God with his own blood, from every tribe and language and people and nation, if he purchased men for God at the cost of his own blood from all the tribes, all the peoples, all the nations, then we must keep the gospel front and center because it's a gospel for all people. There's an eighth reason that we must keep the gospel front and center. It's because the gospel requires a saving response. You know how we're inundated. Some of you go through your news feeds and you just look at stuff. You don't remember it. You don't care. You just, it's blip, 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 blip. Maybe some of you know, like I'm thinking now about Jackson, Mississippi, where we were a year ago and there's 150,000 people with no potable drinking water There's things we know, we think about, we're aware of. And it'd be great to pray, by the way, for the church there in Brandon, Mississippi, a fellow Arbinet church with Pastor Thomas Wynn. But there's so much we're exposed to that requires no response. 
but the gospel does. And there are only two gospel-produced saving responses, repentance and faith. Kids, what's on one side of a penny and what's on the other? What's on one side? A head? Whose head? His head or his face? That's okay. What's on the other side? What's that? Tails. <laughs> What's on one side of a penny? You better ask a child. Heads, tails on the other. That's right. Well, on this gospel coin, on one side is repentance, and on the other side, the tails side, is faith. All right? And you need both. And you really don't get one without the other. They're distinct, but they really are two sides to one coin. You, can't, you shouldn't be tearing them apart or think of them apart. They're, they're like Siamese twins joined, we say, to one another. And our temptation is to complicate this. To repent of your sin is to have a change of mind concerning it and to turn then to Christ alone in faith alone, upon the promises of God alone. Now watch this. That he might save you from everything related to your sin. The guilt, the deadness, the misery, the wreck that it brings, the hell that it makes you face as your eternal prospect in a life apart from God and the awesome fires of hell. And it turns us when we repent. It turns us from everything concerning our sin to everything concerning God. Where God gives us all of himself in this overflowing fountain of life and goodness and love and joy that's not in you but is in him. Where we drink of him, not our righteousness, not your righteousness, but his alone by faith gifted through grace. There's a final thing as to why we gather and why we want to keep the gospel front and center. And it's only right that we keep the gospel front and center because as Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are no other options. And we live the Christian life the way we begin it. With and by the gospel of the Son of God. We never graduate beyond our daily need for the good news of what God has done for us through His Son. Please don't use it as a trite phrase to say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Try to cultivate that as a grace and an art of a vibrant Christian. You see, the gospel is not a one-time vaccination to make sure you don't go to hell and you get to heaven. But the gospel is God's good news for every day of the rest of your lives like right out of the gospel of Matthew, the gospel is that pearl of great price. The gospel is that 
great treasure, that priceless treasure that's hidden in a field that summons you and me to sell everything, to have the complete fire sale, the garage sale, put it all on the blocks, Facebook marketplace and everything, that we might have it. That one thing, moreover, the one will never be taken away from you. And that is him. John Piper says, he expresses this profoundly. He says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. Brothers and sisters, future brothers and sisters who've not yet fully embraced all the promises of the gospel, I have a question for you. Will we be marked by a community of treasuring the seeing and savoring of God above all else, then this is our resolve when we ask why we gather. Why are we here? Why did we come again at five when we were already here for four or five hours this morning? Let me propose our focus. Let the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ remain front and center all the days that we gather as Grace Baptist Church of Taylors. May that gospel be obscure to none. May it be visible to all. God help us to keep the gospel just like that all our day.